Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 28, take one. This is Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 28. I'm Jeff, and yep, I am the host. This is the eighth episode of the second season. Let's get the show started. And right out of the gate, I'm going to start with bourbon. Before I talk about anything else, uh, I was kind of feeling like uh, putting bourbon at the front of the show. So uh, I picked up a bottle off of my shelf, and it is uh, something I got on my last trip to Kentucky. Uh, it's Evan Williams 1783 Small Batch. It's a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Uh, reading on the label here, it's, uh, it's a 1783 small batch sour mash, 86 proof, Evan Williams, unopened. So here we go. You guys heard it first right here. Let's see if we can uh, get this thing opened. Bear with me. Of course, it has a uh, childproof label on here. Stand by. Okay, now we got it. Let's see here. I think I got it, but evidently I don't. Oh, it's a twist off. No wonder. That shows you it's a budget bourbon. <laughs> no cork on the bottom. Let's see what we got. It sounds like I poured a lot, but really it's about one ounce. Okay. Has a great note. Smells, of course. All, all bourbons smell good to me, but. Mm, that is good. That goes down really good. So let's talk about the uh, 1783 small batch for a minute. Uh, of course, I always start at their webpage, evanwilliams.com. And I, I know I've said this before because we've talked about Evan Williams uh, single barrel, but um, the Evan Williams family has four offerings. They have Evan Williams Black, which is pretty much the cheapest stuff. Evan Williams Bottled and Bond. They have the Evan Williams 1783 Small Batch. And of course, one of my favorites, the single barrel. And I'm sure I've told you guys a hundred times at least that that single barrel is one of my favorites. And I think it's one of the best values out there at 29 bucks, but... Right now we got the 1783 small bot small batch. Uh, the the bottle says 86 proof, but when I go to their website, they're saying 90 proof. So let's read some more about it. Their literature says Evan Williams 1783 small batch honors the year that Evan Williams founded Kentucky's first distillery. The small batch bourbon is pulled from less than 200 barrels. And just as a side note, I don't know if you guys remember me saying this, but uh, Small batch, there really isn't a definition, <laughs> whether it's 200 barrels or 2,000 barrels. Nobody has really defined what small batch means. So 200 barrels, evidently, less than 200 for Evan Williams small batch. So now you know. Uh, they go on to say it's extra aged and uses the same sour mash process and traditional, traditional recipe made popular by our namesake. Their website says 90 proof. It says it has a color of brilliant honey. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't say so much honey. To me, it looks a little bit darker, like a maple syrup almost. Uh, the nose, they're calling us oaky, vanilla, sautéed butter, and sweet corn. Man, my, I'm drooling just reading it. And the taste is semi-sweet, oaky, and honeyed, and has a finish of lean, off-dry, and regal. 
Regal. I'm not sure what Regal means, but I can tell you uh, it has a very smooth finish. And smelling it, like when they say the nose, I can definitely smell butter, oaky, vanilla, but a very smooth finish, very smooth. So there you have it. For this show, I'm going to be sipping on Evan Williams 1783 Small Batch. Uh, there you go. Looking at my show notes here. Let's get it started. We'll be right back with the first segment. Okay, Rackhouse Ramblings is back. Uh, I've received a lot of feedback the last uh, two weeks about my friend Logan being on the podcast. Uh, it's not everyone likes them. They really do, and I like them. Sorry to say this week we won't have him on because of logistics problems. Uh, Logan and I just couldn't uh, find a time to get together and uh, record some audio. Um, but I promise you I will do my best to have him back for the next podcast. So there you have it. Logan, he'll be back next podcast. Um, and once again, I really like the feedback from you guys. Thanks, Steve. A couple of people gave me feedback on Logan and I really appreciate it. If you guys like him, I'm going to make sure he comes back. So without Logan being here, I'll try and do the fire department update. I won't do it justice. I know I won't. Um, there's a few things to talk about this week. Uh, truck four broke its suspension driving on 13 mile road. So all you guys at work at uh, Warren fire, you already know this already. The shower, t the shock tower uh, broke and uh, fortunately uh, it got fixed already, but uh, 13 mile right in front of station four. If you've ever driven that stretch, you'll understand why. It reminds me of the road to Fallujah. It is so bumpy. It's like somebody uh, carpet bombed it. But once again, thanks to the mechanics, they got truck four up and running and it's back in service. It was only down about a week, it seems like. Squad two, not so lucky. If you saw the article in Macomb Daily, there's a picture of a squad two. It was hit on the front passenger side and it's going to be out of service for a long time. Luckily, there are no injuries. Um, Nick and Matt were riding on there that day and uh, both guys are uh, healthy and patients healthy and the person that hit him is healthy. So everything, uh, I don't want to say worked out okay, but uh, it, it, an unfortunate incident uh, for all parties involved. But anyway, the guys are back to work and uh, backup squad is in service. Let's see what else we got to say. Oh, I want to also say welcome to uh, Eric, our new probationary firefighter at Station 3. If you happen to meet Eric, thank him for his service. He's a military veteran. He's a good guy. I like Eric. Good luck, Eric. Welcome to Warren Fire and welcome to Station 3. Also, we want to shout out to, I probably should have done this uh, the last uh, two weeks, but uh, some buddies of mine have been sending me pictures of bucks that they shot. Congrats out to Zip. You shot a monster buck. Uh, my buddy Justin shot him a couple of bucks his wife shot a buck uh congratulations to rick who got a double down south put a great picture on instagram a couple of studs and a couple of nice looking bucks and congrats to my buddy rick also got a buck um probably should have said those a while back but there you have it that's the weekly update not nearly as good as logan uh but we'll try and have him back uh, on the next podcast so stay right there i got another segment coming up be right back Rackhouse Ramblings is back. And you know, I had to stop myself when I 
took a pause in between these segments. I reached down to have a sip of bourbon, but I really need to be doing that on the air. So that's what we'll do. We'll have another sip of Evan Williams. Very good. And you know what else I'm going to do? I brought I brought out my Ghirardelli chocolates. And for right now, I'm going to hold off on them, debating what's going to go with this. And like the last podcast, we had dark chocolate, dark chocolate with sea salt caramel, and milk chocolate, milk chocolate with caramel. You know, we're going to hold off on those right now. We'll just keep the uh, bourbon uh, solo on its own. So anyway, here we are. Christmas is just around the corner. And with that comes Christmas trees, Christmas decorations, Christmas cookies, and of course, Christmas cards. So um, I'm not sure about you guys, but our house, my wife Ann mails out Christmas cards every year, a whole stack of them. And so as I was writing up the script today, I kind of looked at them. I said, you know what? I'm going to kind of do a deep dive and see what's going on. I want to know when did the idea of Christmas cards first start? So searching on the internet, of course. I found something on Wikipedia. I'm going to read this from Wikipedia. It says the first recorded Christmas cards were sent by Michael Mayer to James I of England and his son, Henry Frederick, the Prince of Wales. First cards were sent in 1611. Uh, It was discovered in 1979 in the Scottish Record Office by a guy named Adam McLean. So they learned that in 1979. Let's see here. Uh, a greeting, this is what the card said, apparently they had the actual card. A greeting on the birthday of the sacred king to the most worshipful and energetic lord and most eminent James, king of Great Britain and Ireland and defender of true faith with a gesture of joyful celebration on the birthday of the lord. In most joy and fortune, we enter into the new auspicious, auspicious year, 1612, being laid out to form a rose. Wow. So it sounds like he was kissing somebody's butt in there. Then it goes on to say the next cards were commissioned in 1843. Blah, blah, blah. And then let's see here. The central picture showed three generations of the family. Allegedly, the image of the family drinking wine together proved controversial. But the idea was shrewd. Cole had helped introduce the penny post three years earlier. Two batches, totaling 2,050 cards, were printed and sold that year for a shilling each in 1843. Early British cards rarely showed winter or religious themes, instead favoring flowers, fairies, and other fanciful designs that reminded the recipient of the approach of spring. Humorous and sentimental images of children and animals were popular, as were increasingly elaborate shapes, decorations, and materials. Let's see here. At Christmas 1873, the lithograph from Prang and Meyer began creating greeting cards for the popular market in Britain. They began selling them in 1874 in America, thus becoming the first printer to offer cards in America. So there you go, 1874. Hmm. Its owner, Louis Prang, sometimes called the father of the American Christmas card. By the 1800s, Prang was producing over 5 million cards a year by using the chromolithography process of printmaking. However, the popularity of his cards led to cheap imitations that eventually drove him from the market. The advent of the postcard spelled the end for elaborate Victorian-style cards. But by the 1920s, cards with envelopes had returned. The extensive Laura Seddon greeting card collection from the Manchester Metropolitan University gathers 32,000 Victorian and Edwardian greeting cards printed by the major publishers of the day, including Britain's first commercially produced Christmas card. Let's see here. The production of Christmas cards was, throughout the 20th century, 
a profitable business for many stationary manufacturers, with the design of cards continually evolving with changing tastes and printing techniques. Now widely recognized Hallmark Cards was established in 1913 by Joyce Hall with the help of brother Raleigh Hall to market their self-produced Christmas cards. The Hall brothers capitalized on a growing desire for more personalized greeting cards and reached critical success when the outbreak of World War I increased demand for cards to send to soldiers. Hmm. The World Wars brought cards with patriotic themes. Uh, idiosyncratic studio cards with cartoon illustrations and sometimes risque humor caught on in the 1950s. Let's see, it goes on to say modern cards can be bought individually or in packs. Estimated number of cards received by American households dropped from 29 in 1987 to 20 in 2004. Email and telephones allow for more frequent contact and easier and are easier for generations raised without handwritten letters. Yeah, you can say that again, especially given availability of websites offering free email Christmas cards. Hmm. Despite the decline, 1.9 million cards were sent in U.S. in 2005 alone. And as a matter of fact, I did a little bit of research. Um, what is it? Oh, they're saying in the U.K., Christmas cards account for almost half of the volume of greeting cards sold, with over 668 0.9 million Christmas cards sold in 2008. Hmm. And here we go. Uh, oh, you know what? I went and looked uh, for the Postal Service. Every year, a billion holiday cards are put through the mail. According to the USPS study in 2018, about 1.3 billion holiday cards were mailed. A number that's held steady for years now. 1.3 billion. Holy shit. So it's probably more than you ever want to know about Christmas cards, right? So let's take another sip. Very, very good. 1783, Evan Williams. So there you go. Um, oh, you know what? Another thing. I would have been, the last podcast, I talked about a show called Tastemakers. And I'm still watching it. An episode comes out every week. And so while I was typing the script, um, I had DVR'd another episode and kind of had it playing in the background. And the latest episode takes place here in Michigan. No shit. Um, check it out. It's kind of neat. Um, they focused on this uh, place in Ann Arbor called Blom Meadworks. And it's like bloom, like a flower blooms, but with only one O. And they're in Ann Arbor. Um, and if you didn't know, mead is uh, an alcohol. Uh, it's like beer or wine, but it's made from honey. And so uh, the show kind of does a deep dive on bees, on honey, on orchards, on different types of honey, and uh, kind of circles back around. It starts the show with the, the Mead Works guy and then ends the show with the Mead Works guy. But I thought it was a cool Michigan connection. Anyway, uh, Tastemakers, check it out. It's still one of my favorite shows. And the last thing I want to talk about on today's podcast is... Um, a project I started a while back. It was my mini bike restoration. I had to put it on hold when I when I hurt my hand and I kind of got back to it. And um, I it, I guess let's back up a little bit. I had this mini bike sitting up north. It's been there a long time, and uh, really wasn't anything special of a mini bike. But it's something that my dad bought me for Christmas years ago. And I want it, it's a Doodle Bug is the brand name. And I'm seeing it at Dunham's before, but. Um, I can remember, it's kind of, it has like more uh, sentimental value than anything, but I can remember going to his house on Christmas Eve, because that's when we exchange gifts, and uh, he didn't have it wrapped or anything, it was just sitting on the back porch, so when I came in, I thought, 
oh, this is so great. I was pretty excited, you know, a full-grown man getting a mini bike, right? It was one of those things when I was growing up that we could never afford, never had one. Um, but that Christmas, Santa came through big time. So I right away put some oil in it, put some gas in it, and fired it up. And it was cold as shit, and there was snow on the ground, but the driveway and the sidewalk on it were clear. And I rode that damn little mini bike up and down the block till my hands and my face were frozen. So anyway, it's kind of been sitting up north and hadn't been rode in a few years. And I uh, made up my mind this year to kind of get it running and uh, restore it a little bit. And it had a three and a half horse motor on it. And I always felt like it was un underpowered. It wouldn't go up a hill. And to really get up to speed, you kind of had to like have a lot, a long runway. <laughs> and when I say up to speed, I'm thinking maybe it was 20 miles an hour. That would be generous. So when it, for my restoration, I found a, on YouTube a way to, uh, there was an engine swap on it. And so I replaced the engine with a bigger six and a half horse. It's called a Predator engine from Harbor Freight. And it's the clone of a Honda 6.5 horse. Um, if, if you work in the fire service, it's the same motor that's on the, the Honda motor that's on the ventilation fans. Um, they make a, a clone of it at Harbor Freight for 99 bucks. So I, that's what I put on there. It took me a while. I had to modify the frame. Um, for the motor to fit, I had to uh, cut away some metal. I had to uh, replace the centrifugal clutch with a modern day, they call it a torque converter. Um, had to shorten the chain, um, all these different things. And, you know, it's funny when you see them on YouTube, it, they make it look like it's a plug and play. Oh, you just pull this out, put this in, and you're good to go. And, to, and it really isn't like that. There's a lot of time, a lot more time involved. I had to uh, modify the engine mounts and redraw holes. Then I hook up the throttle cable, had to adjust this linkage, and of course the throttle cable being old snapped, and actually the throttle broke, and so did the brake handle, that snapped too, so I had to replace both of those. But really, once I put oil in the crankcase, gas in the tank, it started on the second pull. The engine is really strong. My first uh, ride in the backyard, uh, it was fun. I could not stop smiling. <laughs> it climbs up the hill in my backyard, no problem. And when you get on the street, it really flies, like dangerous flies. Uh, it goes really fast, and I could not believe how much more power this engine has. When you, when you really give it the throttle, it'll just it'll do a wheelie and pull the front end right off the ground. But anyway, I kind of get carried away talking about it. But I wanted to mention um, uh, a place called Allied Leisure over in Farmington Hills, and it's a mini bike shop. I never knew there was mini bike shops, but there is. And I walked in; these guys are really cool. It's father and son team, John and Ray, and they knew all about like the vintage mini bikes. I was there at least an hour shooting the shit with John and I needed a, uh, a new chain of course, cause I snapped the old one. The engine was so strong and needed a new front tire and things like that. So I was talking with this guy, John, he's filling me in. I was trying to, I'm asking him why some of these old mini bikes are so expensive, the old Rutmans and things like that. And he's telling me cause the frames are made in America. Of course, mine isn't mine's made in China, but, um, all these vintage things always seem to be more money and they had old fat, the, the old retro rims and engines and engine parts and seats and all these other things. So we just sat there shooting the shit for a while. I want to say, uh, if John, if you're listening, thank you very much for your help that you, you guys set me straight. I really appreciate it. And hopefully after the first year, I can get John on the podcast. He was very reluctant. I mentioned it to him and he was uh, not sure about it and everything, but I think you guys would really like him. He's really interesting. And uh, thanks to Allied Leisure, I'll probably put a picture of that, their business card on my uh, uh, <laughs> on my Instagram, along with a picture of the mini bike. And uh, I think that that might be all that I have. We'll sip some more Evan Williams.
I've got some new uh, guitar licks uh, to take us out here. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Everybody be safe. Rackhouse Ramblings, episode 28. We'll talk to you guys next time.